I don't know how to compete with the last 30 minutes. Man, I was in the back of that, and that's, that's a total chaos, and hopefully the kids got that out of their system. But it seems like they recharge chaos constantly, though. They have this chaos-producing gene inside, you know, that, that youth just have that. I had the privilege of, of a, not just being music director at Stillwater, but youth director as well, and, and that would have been back when Brother Davison's kids, because he was my pastor, I worked for him, and uh, while his kids were in, in the youth group as well. And so um, I, I have, um, now I just have a love for youth. The, I mentioned last night the Do Right Gang that I get a chance to spend with our, our guys four to five o'clock every Sunday afternoon. I don't do it in the summer because a lot of you know, gone and, and traveling and all of that stuff. But it's just another opportunity for me to build a personal relationship with them so that when they walk away and they graduate high school, that they have one more relationship that they're going to have to think about saying goodbye to. And it's not even really a teaching time. It's a conversation time. And uh, I just challenge them, say, hey, guys, anything that you don't understand or anything you struggle with, and let's talk about it, just an opportunity to build relationships. And, and uh, so the principle I want to give you today has helped me, I don't necessarily want to say more than any other, but in reading through Proverbs and understanding this, it has helped me in dealing with our youth and in pastoring and I learned it after I had finished parenting, but it helped me realize, okay, this is why some things worked and here's why other things I would do better. It is a powerful principle if, if you'll really pay attention to it. So it'll take me a little while to develop it, and then I'll make the application to youth as we go along. So um, it, it might take you a few moments to, to realize, are we really going somewhere? But that that's, I'm an inductive preacher, so you don't really get all of it until we get middle to the end there somewhere. So Proverbs chapter 6, look at verse 30 and 31. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. A few years ago there was a, a case, a criminal case here in, in Oklahoma City and uh, there was a man named Elmer Reed who he was, he was sleeping at night and his dog started growling and alerted him to the fact that something was happening. And, and so when he kind of came to, he realized somebody was breaking in his front door. And, and so he grabbed his gun real fast and had, by his bedside and he made his way to his hallway from his front door. And when he got there, he saw a man who had just entered his front door. And as I recall, he saw the man raise his hand uh, with a weapon in his hand, and he realized he had just a few moments. And so he, he raised his weapon and shot the man, and the man died uh, there inside his front door. So he was on the inside of the house. And so when something like that happens, even if you kill somebody in your own house, then there's going to be a criminal investigation. And, and there was in, in this particular case... And so the judge eventually ruled that the killing was justified. Now, you and I would typically agree with that. We would agree you ought to be able to defend your own house, protect yourself within your own house. And, and yet, this, this whole kind of a situation has become quite a controversy. Let me give you a little bit of a, of a history. In the early 80s, 
There was a criminal case, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts versus Lynn Schaefer, and it held, this is what the law held then, this is what they concluded in Massachusetts, that when you're attacked in, in your own home, you had to attempt to climb out the window before attempting the use of a gun. And now, any churches here from Massachusetts? All right, good. So I can say anything I want about how <laughs> stupid and ridiculous that is. I mean, we all really, that's, that's crazy. Why, but why do, they, why do they think in some cases that that's an acceptable ruling, that you're in your own home protecting your own place, but yet if somebody breaks in and you feel like you're in harm, you have to attempt to climb out of a window. All right, now, now that's absurd, but yet there are reasonable people who would still take that case. I would disagree with them, believe they're completely wrong, but there's something in their mind that's making that a struggle. After a few years, another governor signed what's called the Castle Law. The Castle Law says you can use force if you're threatened within your own home, which we would say well, that's more reasonable. Other places have referred to these as the death wish laws, that you ought to be able to protect yourself to the point of using a gun and killing somebody else if necessary. There's, there's a lot of difficulty in putting these laws in place and if you think about the very term that is used, legally it's justifiable homicide. Now that, those need to be seen as contrasting terms. Because homicide means what? Yeah, you, you've, you've killed somebody. Justifiable homicide means, okay, that, that almost doesn't go together. Because the whole struggle is when is it acceptable for a citizen who's not a police officer, not a military person, the struggle is when is it okay for one citizen to kill another citizen? Now when you put it like that, you realize, okay, we kind of are glad that there at least is a struggle to find that line. I mean, does that make sense to you? That you, you don't want to just have this vigilante where one citizen says, well, I don't like you anymore and I think you're bad so I'm going to kill you that there is a lot of difficulty in trying to figure out when is it acceptable for one citizen who has no more authority to terminate a life than anybody else to take another citizen's life. And, and that's, that's the issue of the struggle. So when, when we get to this particular text, realize that in this part of Proverbs, what you're, what you're reading is a father, Solomon's instruction to his son, Rehoboam. And so I want to give you just a short narrative that I, that I wrote. And all I'm trying to do is imagine what caused Solomon to have this conversation with Rehoboam. What, what, was, the, what, what was the setting behind it? What was Rehoboam struggling with that caused his father to go into this? All right, so let me just suppose that Rehoboam has, being the king's son, and he has access to any place in the kingdom and maybe in Jerusalem there. And he liked to go to the court where the judge would have the cases and, and would rule on the cases and crimes committed in Jerusalem. And so suppose that Rehoboam is laying in bed one night and Solomon comes in to tell him good night. And, and so Solomon says, so how did your day go today, Rehoboam? And Rehoboam responds, pretty good, Dad. I spent it at the courts so watching Judge Judith today. And, and Solomon says, oh, you did, son. Well, I bet that was exciting. I, or, or was it boring? No, sir, it, it wasn't boring at all. But I really didn't understand the judge. And Solomon says, well, tell me about it, son. Let's see if I can explain. Rehoboam says, well, 
Dad, today was the day when they brought in all the thieves. And these men were brought in and they were wearing shackles and, and they came in and when they came in and in their shackles, they would just stare at Judge Judith with this, almost like this hatred. And, and the one that was helping the judge would then read off what the man had stolen and the judge would ask the man why he stole. And... Well, the man, each man would seem to just stare right through the judge and they would start hollering about it wasn't fair and life wasn't right and, and they had a right and nobody should have more food than they did. And, and, but Dad, there was this group of people on the other side of the room. And I, I think they might have been the people that he stole from. And when the judge got ready to read the man's sentence, about what, why he, if he was guilty or what he was going to have to face because he was guilty, these people would start hollering out, throw the book at him, send him to prison, send him to the chamber. And, and every time the judge would give the harshest sentence, these people would just cheer and holler because the, the criminal, the guy that stole from them, got the worst punishment. Well, son, that isn't all that hard to understand, is it? He stole from them. No, sir. I understand that, but it was the last one right before I left that I don't understand. Well, tell me about it, son. Well, Dad, this one came in with his shackles, but instead of staring at the judge, he had his head down, and he just shuffled slowly across the floor, and he, he seemed kind of humble. He didn't have very good clothes. He was thin, and the judge asked him why he stole. Dad, the man spoke softly and said how sorry he was, but just that he was hungry and his children hadn't had any food for a few days. Those same people were there, but this time they didn't holler at him. Nobody said anything. They just put their heads down too. The judge even looked at the man like, like he, he pitied the man. It was so different than the others. And Solomon said, Son, I, I understand that you are confused. But something that might help you is this. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul. See, son, they had some pity on him because he stole for a different reason. He stole because he was hungry. Okay, Dad, then why didn't the judge let him go with a, just a warning? He still made him pay back everything and more. And Solomon said, well, son, it is true that people pity a man who steals because he's hungry, but it is, it is also true that if he be found out, he still has to restore sevenfold and give all the substance of his house. What he did is still wrong, and he'll have to pay for it. See, Rehoboam, men will always struggle to find the line between understanding and justification. And the best judges know where to draw that line. I can imagine Rehoboam gazing at his dad with a blank stare for a little bit, trying to wrap his 10-year-old mind around the difference between understanding and justification. I have a 60-year-old mind, and I'm still trying to find that line sometimes. But I want to tell you, if you will struggle with this principle as youth leaders, as pastors, 
wives of, of leaders and all the things that you deal with, it will be an immense help. And I want to spend the rest of the time explaining that. So the text introduces us to this principle that a man steals because he's hungry. And, and that's what Solomon is explaining. And so he's been without food. We have no idea why he didn't have food. Was he lazy? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. Had somebody stolen from him? We have no idea. The text doesn't tell us. Had he been out of work? We don't know. But he stole some food. And the only reason for giving his stealing is that he was hungry. No other motive is given to us at all. And so what the verse implies, notice verse 30. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. So if one steals because he is hungry, what the text explains to us is that it was acceptable for somebody to have a different attitude towards them. Meaning that they might would despise somebody who stole, but because he stole, because he was hungry, it was okay to have a different attitude towards them because of the reason that they stole. Is stealing wrong? Yes, it is wrong. But there was some understanding based on the motive. All right, so, so verse 30 is about understanding. But verse 31 is about justification. If he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. So you might say, well, verse 30, in verse 30, they don't despise him, so they're going to let him off. They're understanding. But verse 31 says, no. Understanding does not turn into justification. If he is found, then he's still going to have to pay the price. But what the text is saying, it was okay to have a different attitude because of why he stole. There's still consequence. You can't say, okay, stealing is fine now because stealing is wrong. You don't have the authority to say a wrong is now a right and it's acceptable. So he still had to, to pay the price. So notice, notice the contrast here. It's acceptable to understand why the man stole. It was not wrong to be understanding. It, it, was, not, it was not compromise to not despise the man simply because he stole because he was hungry. There was an attitude difference. They're not condemned for understanding. His motives allowed the person to have a different attitude, but it was not acceptable to excuse the crime. All right, there's a difference. He still had to pay the price. And a person dealing with a situation like this had to be able to know what understanding is and yet not let understanding turn into justification. And there, there has to be a line between those two. There's no greater example of this than Jesus Christ, who being God and holy and 100% holy, no toleration of sin whatsoever, yet came and took on the form of a man and lived as we did. And, and in a sense had a compassion and an understanding of our plight, but he did not excuse sin. He put himself in a place where he did not justify our sin. He took the wrath of God upon himself and he was, he was the, the perfect balance and found the perfect line between understanding and yet not justifying. If he had not been understanding, he would not have come and lived in our place. And if he would have justified, we could not stand before God. Because sin, if God is going to be God, sin has to be taken care of. So I, I want to 
I want to illustrate this and take three positions here that I hope will will make this clear. So, for those of you that can't see this, this is this is this position here: understanding and justifying, understanding and justification. And then I have a position here, and this one will be the opposite. So this is not understanding and not justifying. And then we're going to have one in the middle, and then this is going to be understanding without justification. So you can, if you can see that one. And I think it will help us get to the heart of what these verses are and why this can help you in dealing with youth. Because I, I love the analogy of the ditch on both sides of the road. Because a lot of times we... We are, we're trying to avoid a ditch. We're so scared of, of messing up here or becoming this. And, and we, we see that so big that we start backing away. And we're, we're saying, I will never be that. I don't ever want to do that. And then we find ourselves backing into the opposite ditch and didn't even realize it. And in, in my own life and ministry, this has been the ditch that has caused me the most trouble, not that one. Because I'm aware of that one. I'm watching that one. But this one, I was so reactive against that one and saw that one as so big I was a little bit more blind to this one because my back was turned. And either way, your progress is diminished because you're in a ditch. So I want to I want to give the two ditches first. Let's start with this one. So this is both understanding and justifying. We might would call this the position. It's not a great term, but let's call this the position of the liberal. This might would be a lot of youth programs in, in mega churches. And, and even in, in many independent Baptist churches, this position is, I know the guy stole, but he was hungry. Just let it go. He, I, I understand. I have compassion on him. I, I understand his plight, and I realized where he was at. And, and you, you just can't, you can't prosecute a guy like that. You have to be understanding. I think we've seen this politically. Isn't immigration sometimes a little bit in this area? Where we understand the, the plight of people in, a, in another country and, and what they suffer and, and what the difficulty is. And so, I mean, we have a political mess today because there is some understanding of what people are dealing with in, another, in other nations. But it, the understanding is bleeding into justification to where we don't even need to enforce the laws. We don't even need immigration laws. Let's just, let's just let them flood. I mean, this is a huge deal even now in our, in our southern border. Uh, have you seen it maybe in drug use? There are places where there's so much understanding that people are addicted to drugs and, and the depth of the addiction that they're providing them needles. And the understanding is turning into a justification that actually promotes the very behavior that should be a problem in the first place. How, how about student loans? Boy, these, these people, are, that's just so, they're just so burdened over by debt. And we understand it, education is so expensive these days. You, you can't blame them for having to take out loans for so much money. So let's just forgive their debt. And understanding has bled into justification. Maybe out of a compassion. But still, it has blurred the line. We're seeing this with test scores, aren't we? They can't. Nobody in this grade has, has you know, made the scores in the last five years in this class. And so let's, let's lower the test scores. In the military, they're coming in overweight. And so they're loosening the weight requirements just so they can have more. Because their understanding of it. One of the latest that's going around are credit scores. Those with lower credit scores 
now are having to pay less fees, and those with higher credit scores are having to pay greater fees to cover that up. There's an understanding that, well, this, that's just the problem people are facing, and so it bleeds into justification. And why, why is this happening? Well, people become so understanding that they bleed into this justification because it's compassionate. And compassionate is a biblical attribute. Compassion is an attribute that God has. And He exercises compassion. He had compassion on us. And so sometimes you, you can look at a youth group and you see where some of these kids are coming from. And you see the homes. And maybe they don't know a dad or they, they don't know which mom is their real mom. And it's a drug-infested home. Maybe... As I had some kids tell me last night, I had three different kids come up to me afterwards and say, you know, I have older siblings that is homosexual or lesbian or that is looking at, at trans. These are very real situations. And it demands compassion on us. And you see the homes they come from, you realize many of them have never seen a good authority in their life. And you're having all these struggles with them and authority and, and trying to get them to do the right thing and trying to get them to respect you as the youth director or the youth director's wife. And, 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 and you, you, you get that disrespect from them. And, and then when you see their home, maybe you learn something about their background, you think, man, now I get it. I understand. I understand why that's like that. Maybe they've never seen the kind of love that your kids have. And... They've never, maybe they've never been to a church service that wasn't filled with entertainment where they had to sit there and listen to preaching or listen to teaching. Maybe they never had to, you know, to, to sit there and go through a, a service where there was supposed to be or, or at least a little bit of reverence expected of them. Maybe they have nobody at home who cares to filter their internet. Nobody says anything to them about you shouldn't look at this, or you shouldn't have that phone, or you shouldn't be on this website, or you shouldn't have that kind of access. So many of them, all they hear every day is filthy conversations. They've never really been challenged much to know what a pure conversation is. Maybe part of the understanding is, is you're looking at some of the, the kids that aren't doing right, but you know they, they want to have a phone, and, and, and they're saying... You know, man, dad, or maybe in, in your parenting, dad, every other 14-year-old has a phone already. Every other 13-year-old has a phone. I am the only one in my peer group who doesn't have a phone. And there is something that's worth saying, I understand that, son. I know that's pressure. Listen, it is pressure. When you're one out of 20, that's pressure. You know, and and I, I didn't have cell phones when I was growing up. I don't know what that kind of pressure was. I, mean, I know what peer pressure is like, but I have to, I have to deal with that. And, and, and you have kids that are saying, maybe your church kids, that, that they're saying in the presence of all these others, but everybody else has Snapchat. Everybody else has Instagram, and everybody else has access to all of these things. I'm the one that's left out. Why can they go on a date alone, and I can't go on a date alone? And, and you you have to realize it is acceptable to be understanding of the plight of where young people are coming from. Maybe, you know, you're trying to help them understand some things and, and you're saying, well, you know, son, I want you to, at school, I want, I want you to consider praying over your food. 
And they're saying, Dad, that's a lot of pressure. Nobody else does that. I'm going to stand out. And one of the things the text is telling us is that it is understanding, even though that's a right thing to do, the fact that they're struggling to do it, it is okay to be understanding of the struggle and to have a different attitude towards it. But compassion can turn to compromise. And if you're not careful, your understanding gets so deep and your relating goes so far that you end up bleeding into a justification and over time the lines start to move because the understanding became so deep that it turned into a justification. And in that case, if you're not careful, you end up leaving youth as victims. As victims to the world they're growing up in instead of overcomers, which God gives them the ability to do. And God might have put them in, put you in their life to be the one person who has the balance between understanding but not allowing justification. Good luck converting them into a disciple when you treat them like a victim. They're not victims. I'm not saying they are not victims of their circumstance. I'm saying your part in their life is to help them realize ultimately they're not victims when they have the power of the Word of God and Jesus Christ and what He has done for them and the, the influence of the Holy Spirit and a good church and, and, a, and a good youth group and a good youth director and youth director's wife and, and all of that. They, they need somebody to say, I'm, I'm understanding, but I'm not going to let that turn into justifying what you're doing. They may be a victim from the world side. Many of them are. Some of the sexual abuse stories that they're coming in with, they're very real. They have been victimized. But your part in their life is not to leave them a victim. You're there to have some understanding and yet not let it bleed into justification. They, they never, if you're not careful, they never have to step out in real faith and discover the power that Christ offers them. Because sometimes youth directors become so understanding that a youth feels like, well, I'm, I'm okay in this. He, he understands. He's, he's going to let me stay there. She, she realizes. She knows. She grew up in a home like that. She knows that that's just hard. You know some other reasons for, for this position, why some people let understanding bleed into justification. It's not always just the pressure that they are understanding of. Sometimes people are guilty themselves. Sometimes it might be a youth director is guilty himself and a youth director's wife is guilty herself. And they know the struggle. And, and you might, whatever the area is, you might be feeling inside, man, I know how difficult it is to conquer this. I know how difficult it is to get over this bitterness. I, I know how difficult it is to stay away from this influence. I know how difficult it is to not participate in this kind of an entertainment. If you're not careful, your understanding turns to justification because your understanding is there because you realize inside yourself the difficulty. And maybe if you've justified it in your own life, guess what? It's going to turn into you feeling hypocritical if you're too hard on them. And then I, I'm not, I just, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to really be hard on them because I, I understand the struggle. And, and then you're not as much help to them, in part because of feeling hypocritical. Another reason that understanding turns to justification is when the person that is struggling is really close to you. Maybe it's your son, your own son, your own daughter. And, and you were really hard on it until your own son struggled with it. And now you're so understanding 
that now it becomes justifying, and, and the youth group is wondering, man, what happened? He used to be really tough on this, but now, now it's fine? Now he's so understanding that it's no big deal anymore? And pastors can do that. I mean, it's like, I mean, they'll preach one thing, but when they start learning what it's really like to have a kid that struggles with something, then it's not such a big deal anymore. And that's tough on a church when, when that happens. So that's this position. That's why I call it the position of the liberal. That's not a, a perfect assessment, but it's as close as I can come. And it's how a lot of liberalism takes place, is that you have this, this understanding that, that seems right and it is right, but it turns to a justification. Now let's go to this one here. Let's go to, there is, well in this case, they're not justifying, bless God, but nor are they understanding. This is the Pharisee. And probably in conservative-leaning churches, this might be the ditch we have to watch out for the most. Because we are, we are not going to move. We refuse to move. We're not, we're not going to change our stand. We will never alter it. And, it, and there, there's plenty like that out there, but nor are we willing to do what verse 30 says and not despise and have some understanding. It's like, I don't care why he stole. The man's a criminal. Throw the book at him. He ought to know better. And, and that's the end of it. Well, the verse says there's room for a different attitude towards him. There's a, a lack of despite because of the reason that he stole. There are some, man, there's some hard conservatives in this group. And, and probably all of us could tend to that. Or, or maybe just with your bent, maybe you could tend to that. And, and, in way, and sometimes it's people that have never had to live in the world. Not, not in that way. They never had to grow up in a home like that. They never suffered that kind of abuse. They've never been exposed to those kinds of influences. They grew up in a very protected home, always been in a perfect, perfect church, and, and always had everything just laid out for them. And so they, can, they can't even imagine what it's like to grow up in a home like that. And, and so there's no understanding. Maybe because you've never faced this struggle. Maybe you've, you never faced the pain of only having a mom. You don't know what it's like to not have a dad. You know what it's like to not know who your mom is, or you don't know what it's like for your dad to come home drunk. You don't know what it's like for your dad to be inappropriate with you. You've never dealt with that. And therefore, it's like, oh, just get over it. That's, I mean, it's fine there's a lack of justification there, but that's a lack of understanding that is really going to limit your ability to reach as many youth as need to be reached. Maybe, uh, I, I've noticed this in, in pastoring, and, and I've hired mostly you know, uh, Heartland students over the years and, and trained them. It's in, interesting, as interns, they, they come in and they're newly married and they have no kids, and it's amazing how hard they are on parents with children who disobey. <laughs> and... And I, I used to get on to them, and anymore I just stand back and smile because I'm realizing, man, God's going to give them a doozy. <laughs> and, and sometimes they do, and then all of a sudden they have kids, and it's amazing that their lack of justification before, now, I mean, they went from this position to this position within two weeks of having a kid, you know. <laughs> and, and for three years they were like murder on everybody else's kids, and, and I, I'm sure I probably did some of that as well. But it's because they, they haven't had to try to get a kid to learn how to say yes or no or yes ma'am or no ma'am or thank you and 
and they don't they don't know what those challenges are or to, or to not throw a fit you know in the toy aisle at, at Walmart the, the non-gender toy aisle at, at Walmart <laughs> and uh, or sometimes youth directors as as they age youth directors wives maybe they forget what it was like as teens and and you, you get to a certain age depending on what your age is the, the amount of change that has taken place between your teen years and these teen years pretty significant. And, and if you don't take that into account, then it can bring you to a point where you're not even understanding of, of what some have gone through. I've, I've noticed this ironically in sometimes, this is not a blanket statement, you know, so, so please don't get every evangelist in the nation mad at me, but evangelists sometimes who, who have not pastored, I'm not saying they all have to pastor, but sometimes when they haven't pastored, they haven't had to try to help people live the Christian life day after day after day, week after week after week, on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night messages. And, and they come in, and, and man, they just preach, and they're like, okay, we want the quick results. And, and, and sometimes that gets to be pretty tough to handle because they, they're like, man, we're not going to justify people doing this, but they're not understanding either because they haven't had to try to lead people through that on a daily basis. They get to show up and be the hero for a little while, and, and sometimes they do a great job at it. And, and then another reason this happens is sometimes leadership has never had to live by the rules they're challenging others to live by. And they preach something, but they've never lived it. And they really don't understand how difficult it is, because maybe that's, those are the positions they grew up hearing. And so now the culture's changed, and it's a lot harder to keep some positions that we might have kept years ago. And, and so they're not, really, they're not really living that much anymore, and therefore there's not much understanding. Can, can I tell you a, a, a parenting principle that, that I, I learned? I wish I would have learned it earlier, but it will help you in, in youth work as well. Don't treat every act of disobedience as rebellion. Not every act of disobedience is rebellion. I, if, if I could make, if there was a change I could make in parenting, that I would go back and I would train more and correct less. And in fact, if I trained more, I wouldn't have to correct as much. And there were a lot of times that I ended up correcting, and it was not necessarily fair to Daniel or Samuel or Emily because I had, I was saying, well, you're, you're a hearty, you should know, you're a preacher's kid, you, you ought to know these things, and you ought to get this after two or three times, and I, I needed to go back and realize, boy, you've you got to train before you can really expect some of this, otherwise you're going you're gonna to correct it or you're going to punish it out of them, and, and a lot of people will come down hard on everything, and the people they're coming down hard on would do well to have some understanding because sometimes the very reason is because the youth director or the youth director's wife or the parent hasn't properly trained and taken time to explain and, and help them deal with some of the, the, the baggage that they bring into this. And, and so there is this, there's lack of justification, but there is a lack of understanding. And we may hold a position of truth, but without any compassion towards those who don't and will really mess up will lose opportunity to be influential. This is where we want to be, right here, where we, we state clearly up front, we're not going to justify, but we're going to be the most understanding people on the planet, especially because we're not willing to justify. 
And if we're going to take that stand and say, I, I'm going to stand here, I, I can't move anywhere, then it is going to mean a greater dose of understanding than maybe you ever allowed previously. And you may find that it is almost seems magical. It's not magical, it's biblical. But you, you might be amazed at what you can accomplish just because you find this line. That's the only difference. Sometimes that it has to be. You don't have to compromise a thing. You just have to become more understanding and more patient. It is, a, it is such a valuable position in youth work. And you have a spirit of understanding, and it just means a difference in spirit. We need, we need to recognize it's okay to be understanding as a conservative. Understanding is not compromise. Justification is compromise. Understanding is not. And, and you, you can't be ruled by the people who might think that you're compromising just because you're understanding. It's okay to be understanding. I, 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 don't, have, I don't have to meet any other pastor's obligations. I don't have to meet any, any domain or any circle's obligations. I have people in front of me that I dearly love. And my goal is to help them be what God wants them to be. And if that means that I have to be more understanding, God, God will determine in the end if I compromised by justifying. But I have found it is amazing what can be accomplished with understanding. I don't have to move an inch. And there, there are a lot of conservative positions we take at Bible Baptist that we haven't changed over the years. But we have become more understanding, and therefore we've not had to change them. Because it's been more patient for people to come to those positions and allowing the Holy Spirit to do a lot of that whenever we realize that we cannot. There are reasons youth do the things they do that we need to be understanding of. Not justify, but be understanding of. It requires, it requires a lot of, I, I love the way that Stephen Covey said it in The Seven Habits, it requires a lot of seeking first to understand, then to be understood. And Covey didn't come up with that. James said, be swift to hear, slow to speak. And the, the, the fact is, is if we will listen a lot more and try to understand where they came from, what were the influences that brought them to this point? It may help us to get them to the place where they need to be even better because we are understanding. It's a heart of compassion to help them, not just sympathize with them. Proverbs says, He who answers a matter before he heareth it is a fool. And many times we just need to spend some more time listening. And it will help us to be understanding. By the way, and I'll begin to draw to a close here this balance can have a way of revealing what your real motives are. Do you only care about a position or do you care about a person? Because the ideal is to care about both. If you believe your position is biblical and, and you can stand on it, then you're not content to just hammer that position into everybody. You want them to understand it and you want them to get it. You want them to buy into it. And therefore, you will take the time necessary to, to exercise the understanding in order for them to come to that position as opposed to them just being hammered into it reluctantly and they are less likely to drop it when the pressure comes if they have a, a clearer understanding themselves of why they hold that position. If all you want to do is express yourself and pridefully show your strength, you can do that. And, and you can get up and you can preach and you can teach. And, and, and we need to be authoritative. We need, we need to be hard where we need to be hard, but not without understanding. 
And sometimes uh, the, the youth will not pick up on what we're saying because we're only promoting a position. And we're not really concerned that, no, this is not his position because I inherited it. This is a position because I'm concerned this is exactly what is right. This is the greater yes in your life. And all of the no's are only there so I can get you to the yes. And I'm going to be understanding so you can get to the yes. So, let me ask you this morning, what's your particular bent? Be honest, do you lean more here? Do you lean more here? What's, what's, the, what's the nuance in your own personality or, or bent that, that needs to be tweaked to get you right here? There are some youth that you love. There are some church members that you absolutely love and you want God to do something significant and you might even have such a passion inside. But let Solomon's lesson to his son Rehoboam say, listen, you know, all we're talking about in some cases is just a change of spirit. We're not talking compromise. We're just saying, Lord, we, we can be understanding. And when you find that balance, let me tell you what I've discovered. You're going to be amazed at both the influence and the loyalty that comes your way from youth. And you say, well, you're about loyalty, that shooting for loyalty. No, you're only looking for loyalty because it gives you more room for influence. You're not looking for a following. You, you, want, you want them to believe this is the only person, not that you would be the only person, but if that's what they have to believe, that you're the only person that ever really understood who still stood his or her ground and said, you loved me enough to listen to me and care for me and, and be understanding of me, but you also loved me enough to not let me stay there and you refused to justify. Let's close in prayer. Father, I, I thank you for this truth and just for the, the help that it has been to me both in parenting and pastoring and loving our youth. And Lord, I, I know that uh, some of the, the leaders in this room uh, have circumstance in the people that they lead that is just, they couldn't even talk about it because of, of, of how grotesque some of those situations are. And yet your word has the answer and the solution. And the people in this room represent your word. Lord, I pray that you would help men and ladies both, regardless of what their bent is, to have a desire and a passion to find the line that you would have them find between understanding and justification. And that you would help them deal with the own challenges in their personality, maybe what they saw growing up, what ditch they would tend to versus the other. Lord, that we would represent your word fairly, not even just your word, but we would represent you fairly so that we would illustrate your balance in the lives of those that you give us the incredible privilege of leading. Thank you for this time with these workers. I pray your greatest blessing on them in Christ's name. Amen.